All right. Good review. Do you feel like you're getting this class? Or do you feel like you're catching something? Okay. Praise God. All right. So we talked about the law of victory, right? First John chapter 5. And uh, we see, you know, we have the new birth in verse 1. Our burdens are are carried by God in verse 3. And in verse 4, let's look at that together. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is really our identity, isn't it? That we are overcomers. And not just overcomers. We don't just win one time, but we are more than overcomers. We're more than overcomers because Christ leads you and I in triumph, right? He leads us triumphantly in 2 Corinthians 2.14. But John is just wanting these dear church to know that you have a lot coming against you, but you have already overcome the world. You've already overcome it. You know, somebody said to me, we were in Houston this weekend, and somebody said this. They said, God loves us more than we love our sin. God loves us more than we love our sin. You might say, do I love my sin? We do, unfortunately. Our dark side loves sin. That's why we gravitate towards it. And if we're honest, we know we can't manage our sin. But God loves us more than we love our sin. And that's a good word. That's why grace fights for the sinner. Grace fights for the sinner. Love never leaves the sinner where it finds the sinner. We're overcomers. Isn't that good? And if you read through Revelations chapter 2 and Revelations 3, there are eight promises to the overcomers. I'll let you figure that out. It's amazing. You have hidden manna. You're ruling. You are given uh, a special stone with, with the name of God written on there. By the way, this is very interesting. The devil knows you, you based on your sin, but God knows you based in his son. Huge difference. Satan knows you by your sin, my sin. He's quick to remind us. But God knows us based on his son. So the overcomer is not someone that just is winning a battle. We have won the war which was conquered at the cross. The greatest battle ever fought. How many have heard that message, the greatest battle ever fought? Anybody? How many people know what I'm talking about? The greatest battle ever fought. Okay, wow, that is an encouragement to you. That's one of the hallmarks by Pastor Stevens, the greatest battle ever fought. And I would tell you that message will change your life, personally. It's changed my life. Uh, so you can get that on the hallmarks. But see, the devil wants us to look at the battle and the fight and what is being destroyed, right? But God is saying, listen, you might lose a couple battles, the struggle is real, but the struggle is not sin. I'm kind of saying some things tonight that are just, I'm reiterating it. Like our, our progressive sanctification might be up and down as far as our experience, choosing life, choosing death. But the struggle is real, the battle is real, but it's not sin, right? The struggle is not sin. <laughs> it's just he is increasing and we are decreasing, right? 
So if I need God more today than I did yesterday, I'm growing. So having this mindset of an overcomer, I mean, you think of an athlete, right? They're training, but they're training with the end in mind. They're training with overcoming and winning. So that's a great thing to, uh, I used to have a roommate and uh, the dorm life. I remember the dorm life. I was a dorm head and uh, there was one guy that used to write on his wall, on his mirror, Bible verses. And at the end of his bed, he wrote this, it was Johnny 31 through 37, but he just wrote this big word, winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. No, I'm just kidding. Winner. Like he wakes up and that's the, he lifts up, it's the first thing he sees, winner. I just sense that this is such an important thing to drill home that you are overcomers, right? You are an overcomer because Christ has overcome it already for you. Amen? So, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Now, not our obedience, even though we want to be obedient because we want to experience the victory. But one thing has overcome the world. Our faith. Speaking of faith as in God, belief in God, right? Very, very important. That's why Hebrews eleven six, we must come to him and believe that he is. He is. He is. That's our faith. This book that we are learning and being precise uh, ministers of. But he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, right? Who is he who overcomes the world? But it is he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? It's beautiful. This is he who overcome by water, the blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who bears witness. The Spirit is truth. Now, truth is going to be one of these words that we're going to see really uh, emphasized here, and that's all the book of 2 and 3 John. is all about the fellowship, love in truth, 2 John, 3 John, fellowship in truth. Okay? How to love people in truth. Because the, world the world's love can be soulish, and I'll, and I'll look at that later tonight, but notice this. The Spirit bears witness to what? Bears witness to truth. By the way, the truth always sets us free, right? Now, somebody said this to me, and and maybe it's something you know, like, hurt people hurt people, right? We know that, right? How many have heard that statement? I heard the other end of it this weekend. Maybe you knew it. Free people, free people. Anybody ever heard that before? Isn't that good, Joe? I have heard that statement for years, hurt people hurt people, and it's kind of like a a period, but free people, free people. So the Spirit bears witness to truth. You're an overcomer. You're walking not perfect in your experience, but you're walking in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. People see your life. People are inspired. People are set free. And guess what? Free people, free people, right? That's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That's why your life, your ministry, Your faith, your decisions speak volumes to people. 
It's amazing. Isn't that good? And notice this, all three agree as one. I love that, the Trinity here, verse 8. If we receive the witness of man, the witness of God is greater. Oh, that's a good statement. <laughs> that's a good statement. Paul said, people judge me, and I don't even care because I don't even judge myself, right? Paul is saying that earlier on. And it's, it's a good thing. Don't get so hard on yourselves. Don't get self-analytical. If people judge you, or if there's a judgment, God is greater. And that's my, remember remember 1 John 3.20? What's 1 John 3.20 say? Who knows 1 John 3.20? Yes, Salam. Yeah? Let's help him out with that. That was a, you know, you want to give me more of that? That's a good, that's the, that's the kernel of it. Zoe, do you have it? Have you been condemned by your heart recently? Sure. Right? Notice Satan is the great accuser, right? Revelations 12.10. But God is greater. Let's say that. God is greater. God is greater. Come on. That's not very convincing. God is greater. And that's, that's, just, that's what we got to tell the devil sometimes. we got to speak to the devil and say... Okay, you may be right to a certain degree, but God is greater. All right, condemnation is all based around my sin. But Romans 8.1 says there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. All right, no condemnation. There's conviction. Conviction has the center of love where condemnation has the center of sin. All right. All right, so let's let's look at something here. Um, uh, these are these are verses we kind of flew through last class, but I want to just kind of say this: we have the confidence of eternal life. Verse twelve: He who has the Son has life. He does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have. Eternal life. Do you know how much mental gymnastics goes on in someone's life if they don't have the conviction of eternal security? Eternal security. As in God himself is the keeper of the covenant that we have freely received. That's good, isn't it? All right. Now I want to kind of shift. Look at verse 16 for a minute. Now, I didn't get a chance to cover this, but I, I think it's important. Uh, so there are, there, there are stages of discipline. Okay. Now, Hebrews 12, 6, who wants to look at that? Hebrews 12, 6. Who can read that? Jehu, can you read that for me, please? Yes, sir. And then Nick, can you look at uh, Proverbs 3, 12? Proverbs 3, 12. So, John is starting to, he's talking about overcoming. He's talking about confidence that we have in our faith. But then he starts to shift. He said, but believers that walk contrary to this, there is a, uh, a disciplining process that shows that they are 
um, that they are gods. They're, they're the sons of God, okay? And uh, verse, 15, uh, verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that there should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Okay, so what did we say sin was? What did, how did we define sin, Lennon? Missing the mark, good. Falling short. What else did we say it was? Anything outside of faith is sin. Okay, that's a good verse. Okay, yes. But we said a couple other things. It was a breach, right? It was a breach of the relationship, right? Remember that? And it was also an offense against the law, right? Sin, right? By the way, is that the center of our message? No. Really, that's important. That's important to have, like, some teeth on that one. We want to... We want to be compassionate, we want to be clear, and we certainly want to speak to capacity. Those are three C's. We want to have great compassion. Okay? We, don't want to be the, we don't want to be the velvet hammer. We don't want to be hammering people. We want to be clear, have clarity. We want to make sure the message is clear, and then we want to speak to capacity. Oops. Capacity. Their ability to receive. So let's say someone is someone is doing something against God. Like how do we handle that? Do we ignore that? Do we just leave them alone? Do we pray for them? Do we do we speak to them? Right? All of the above in certain circumstances, right? But our equity of love, and I love this word equity. Like the value of love in my relationship will give us the advantage to speak to people in truth. Hey, I love you, but what you're doing, you're, you're allowing First uh, Peter 2.21, there is a warring against your soul. What you're doing is going to lead you into a place of death. What you're doing is going to lead you to a place of misery, right? So, in, in, in a spirit of meekness, Galatians 6.1, we just want to really make sure we hear the heart, and then we want to have a message, right? A message of truth, right? And, and how many conversations have we had where we just said, hey, I love you. You know I love you, right? You know I love you. But what you're doing is gonna, you're going to reap a whirlwind, right? Those conversations are a little hard, aren't they? But they're necessary. They really are. You may save a brother. You may save a sister. Okay? So, let me give you a couple things about discipline. So, there are five stages, if we could say, about discipline. Okay? And for all of you that have kids, I mean, discipline is one of those things that actually is an action of love. It really is, right? If your kid is running out into the street, what are you, you going to do? You have to correct, not the behavior, but you have to correct the thinking. 
You have to correct the thinking. So they don't do it again. All right? It's like you break the will, you do not break the spirit. Do you know the difference? What's the difference? Breaking the will. What do I mean by that? Let's say you're training a horse, Tim, right? You're training a horse. You want to break the will. What do you do? What do you do? Okay. Okay. You keep him tied, but a little bit more than that. I mean, that's, I mean, he'll be great until you untie him. <laughs> you know, what, what do you do? What do you do? Okay, the blinders, sure. What do you do with a horse when he's, out, when he's literally unbroken? Yeah, I just gave you the answer. Yes. You beat him. <laughs> Salem? Salem is, does not have kids. You can tell him now. <laughs> beat my kids into submission. No, I'm just joking. What do we, how, do we, how do we do it? What are we saying here? Nupu, go ahead. It's a thing, yes. It's a thing. But there's something before that. You're actually right, but there's something before that. What do you do, Joe? I think Pastor Shower talked about a guy that training horses like anyone who sees beating him like hands and feet. Mm-hmm. Like coming into a place of submission to earn trust. They want to trust is earned to get out of Okay. I like that. That's good. How how I'm thinking is both of those answers maybe the first thing you are doing to break the will. Let's let's maybe use a child. Maybe a child is a better word than a horse because I don't know much about horses. But you have to break the will by you are the alpha. You are taking command. You are training that person or that young child that you are confident and that your way is right. So that can happen gently. That can happen firmly. That can happen by leading by example, right? Okay, very, very important. I mean, certainly to gain trust, certainly to, um, you know, be the horse whisperer, as Nupu is saying. Uh, love does. Tr- love is shows us that we're perfected in God, so there's great power in love. But I remember with my son, he's got a very strong will. He's a gifted kid. He really is. And I know when I give instruction, there's going to be a little pushback. And how I respond, if I come off like a tyrant and I start throwing things or slamming my fists, that is not going to work well, right? You've got a couple kids, right? That doesn't go well, right? So, but our attitude, right, our attitude of, of just consistency, love, and firmness, you know what happens? They gain the trust and... Um, there are different ways to discipline your kid, by the way. I tried, I'll be honest, I tried spanking my child when he was young. And I, well, I grew up, my gosh, my brother and I and my sister, my, there were so many things. Well, let's talk about myself. We were spanked. I mean, the belt, the boat oar, the spoon. We had multiple things hanging on the wall at switches and sledgehammers. No, not quite. Um, no, my father believed in the belt and the boat oar, and they broke a boat oar on me. That's how hard-headed I was. Uh, that's a joke, by the way. 
you're looking at me in shock, like, I'm calling 911. Uh, no, discipline is very valuable, but not all discipline is spanking. And I learned that with my son. Uh, we, we have another form of discipline uh, where we take away something that, like a privilege or something that is valuable to him. And he responds to that. So there's different ways of discipline, but God has a beautiful way of discipline, and it's a way of love. So number one, the first step of discipline is awareness, okay? Awareness. We become aware. We become aware. You ever have a conversation with somebody, and what they're talking about is, like, very real to you? And it's like they know what's going on in your life without knowing what's going on in your life. It's crazy. Have anybody experienced that? Yeah, awareness. God is saying, hello. I, you know, that person may have no idea what you're, what you're doing or going through what you're thinking, but I am speaking to you, the Lord says, and I'm making you aware that this is contrary to my thinking. Number two, warning. Warning. Okay? Like the Lord not only makes you aware, but now he is showing you the consequence. You continue down this road, it's like your gas light goes on, okay? Your gas light goes on in the car. Warning, you know, you have to do something about this, right? Thirdly, there is chastisement. So now there is a, an event or something that happens to wake you up to, uh, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit of a nudge chastisement, right? Because either we're ignoring God or we are minimizing our sin or we are just being plain foolish, okay? Number four, scourging, okay? Scourging is, we see these things with Christ, right? The scourging is a, a more significant event. I remember growing up in high school and I was going a very different direction. And I had all of these. And it took a motorcycle accident, an event where I was sitting in the hospital for four days. They were taking chunks of the road out of my back. And I could only look up to the ceiling. And I could hear the Lord saying, are you done? Are you, are you, are you hearing me now? now? I'm not saying that that's going to happen to everybody. But for me, uh, I was going in a very different direction. And God's like, I need you to go this way. And I was like, I'm going that way. All right? Scourging, a serious event or something that uh, causes a pain. Okay? Pain. And number five, he takes our life. Okay? And this is, I mean, I've seen this with overdose. I've seen brothers that uh, cannot deal with their substance abuse. And I've seen this a lot with substance abuse. That God will take them home out of a merciful action, but he takes them home years and years early because either they're messing up other people's lives or they're just a bad testimony, okay? So let's read those verses. I gave them to Nick. One, Nick, can you go ahead with yours? Yeah, Proverbs 3.12, yeah? Okay, read that again, nice and loud. That's a good verse. 
Okay, good. How about Hebrews 12, 6? Who had that? Yes, Jehu. Okay. So nobody likes that kind of message, right? Nobody likes to be scourged, right? But the outcome is my will is broken, and now I'm shaped. Now, breaking someone's spirit is different. You know good, can't believe you did that. Like humiliation and shame, right? That breaks the spirit. That causes actually uh, complexes where the person is uh, in a place where they maybe uh, don't trust or lose trust or have a skewed understanding of authority, right? And that happens, unfortunately, a lot. By the way, if you have to correct somebody, always do it alone. Never shame. Shame Shame is backfires every single time, right? When is the only time that we openly rebuke somebody in front of other people? When is it the only time we do that? I just told you never to do it, but there is one time. When there's a one time. Yes. Good. Excellent. Exactly. So if what they're doing, if you've gone to them alone and they do not receive you, right? Matthew 18, 15 through 18. We know this verse well, right? That really gives us the whole agenda there. But if they do not hear you and you bring another brother, they do not hear you and they're infecting and hurting the flock, then you have to say, you have to protect the flock, right? Acts 20, uh, Acts 20, 32, uh, we are overseers and protectors, okay? In Ezekiel 34, that's a great, that's a very good chapter, okay? So discipline, right? Any questions on that? Discipline. Yes, Zoe. Sure. Yes. And it just blows my mind that people like think that's okay in one sense. I'm like, where, where do you like? How do you think that you're the person to go correct someone? I mean, I think of like Nathan David. Mm-hmm. He would like authentically try to like, go to David and talk about it. So I'm just wondering, like, in the church today, mm-hmm. correction between people in the church. I don't know. <laughs> Good question, isn't it? What what corrects us all the time? What what is our greatest uh, coach and our greatest corrector? What is it? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, right? He's the he's the empire. He's the he's the referee, right? But but Zoe brings up a great point. Is there a time that we should correct another person? Is there a time? Yeah, there is. But how do we do it? How do we do it? Okay. Humility and meekness, right? Now, there's a difference. The real question, and I challenge you, am I the one to correct another person? And that's where you have to really pray. It says never to correct an elder, right? Do not rebuke an elder, it says. But if God shows you something, right, in another person's life, Really, this is kind of an important point. 
Do I have a spirit of equity and love in that person to speak to them in truth? Do I have that? If I don't, should I be saying something to them? I'm asking you that question. If I don't have a relationship with that person, if there's no love or equity or investment, if I don't know their heart, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe it's an appearance of evil and it's just an appearance, right? What do we do, Joe? I think, I like, if you don't have a relationship, they're not going to hear you. <laughs> exactly. So it's, and, and so in a sense, you are the right one to have that relationship. You're the one that you know that you can go to them, they can trust you, they will respect you, hopefully hear your thing. So that's exactly my point right there. If I don't have a relationship with that person, then I would be very careful. I'd be super careful. And don't underestimate your prayer. And a lot of times what I like to do is I like just to I like to not assume. Assume means I come to a quick conclusion without all the facts. Presume means I act on those things. Right? Assume is dangerous. Presume is destructive, right? So I like to I like to ask questions, right? You know, like if I have a relationship with that person, I'm like I'm like, you know, what are you thinking about here? What, you know, you know what what's going on in your heart? Like just to, I I want them to talk and share and and if there's equity of love, there usually there's willingness and entreatability. Erhan, yeah. Uh, what about if say this morally obviously we want to have that relationship and have like that have that equity so we know that we know the truth of the matter but when it's spiritually let's say there's something I mean um, Andrew said at the beginning of class there's someone that believed in the Bible but didn't believe in Christ do we correct them and the answer is yes we do when it's doctrinally when it's scripturally we instruct them we don't say oh, you're wrong. We don't. We don't go on. We don't posture, but we present the truth, right? So in that case, scripturally, we say, "Hey, listen. Well, the Bible says this. You're saying this. Let's talk about this, okay?" And it's done in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. But morally, when I say this, like again, it's it's relational. We want to have that equity because Joe said it. They won't hear us. They'll just be like, "Yep, yep." Mm-hmm. And then there's, they'll check out. So how, like I would say one of the most important things, and I, we're kind of like getting off here, but approach. I would say this is the key word, your approach. If you go in with swords flying and guns blazing, you might be right, but you've lost, you will lose a brother, right? But if you go in humility, prayerfully, and I love what Erhan just said. Make it about the word, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm thinking of many examples, right? You just have to be so careful. You know what I'm saying? Very careful. Yeah, 
Exactly. So, so let's say someone's in a, in, a, in a pattern of discipline and you see it. You see, you can see it because God shows you something. And we understand that the default of humanity is brokenness, right? Everyone is looking for connections. And a lot of the struggles that we go through is people are missing divine connections, right? They're seeking to be loved, seeking to be known, seeking to be valued. And so they will endure sin because that is what that is what's meeting the need at the moment. But it is it is a high price to pay, right? And this is what he goes on to say here. We know, verse 18, 19, and 20. I love this. I had you read it. I, I'm going, going, these are some of my these are some of my favorite verses. We know whoever is born of God does not sin. Okay, habitually. That's a key part there, because we all are sinners, but that is not our identity. That is our we may have a predisposition to sin. We are wired to in a way that we have flaws, right? But our predetermination doesn't have to be living in chronic sin. Does that make sense? So we're predisposed, which means we have a sin nature, a body of death. But we're not predetermined. That doesn't have to define our life. That's one of the greatest things in addiction counseling, right? You are not your sin, right? So as someone's identity changes, so does their lifestyle, right? All right, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, right? He's going back to the same point, poneros, that word, uh, that word uh, wicked there is poneros, means infectious evil. And that's the thing, it's like, Everything that the devil touches is infected. Okay? And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And I want to, we're going to, this word aletheia, I want to unpack this this next class. Aletheia, divine absolutes. We know who is true. We are in him who is true. And this is the true God. True. True. You know, Proverbs 23:23, the truth has fallen in the streets, right? The truth, what we're learning tonight, the world does not value it at all. But we are, we are not going to be like the world. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Isn't that a good word? Keep yourself, as in, be aware. There's a strategy against you. The Lord will warn you, right? Just, you know those little, those little strips on the side of the road? What do they call those? The rumble strips? When you start to get tired and you start to drift off the road, it, your tire hits that rumble strip. It goes, you know what I'm saying? Those are great. Those have saved many lives, right? There's a warning. Chastisement, right? There's even a verse that's not coming to my mind in Deuteronomy. that says, if you're unthankful, the Lord says you will serve your enemies, right? <laughs> He'll release you to your enemies if you do not serve the Lord with gladness, right? Great. Scourging is serious, right? Maybe you've been in that place, I don't know. You know you're there when you're there. 
Okay. All right, any questions? How about, how about someone that's not being disciplined? What would you say about that? Let's say someone is an open sin and they're not being disciplined. What would you, by the Spirit, how, what kind of conclusion will we come to? Okay, that's one conclusion. Is that person really saved? What's another conclusion? We don't know what's going on, all the details. Can you add a little bit more to that? Okay. Nupu's awesome. Nupu, you know the answers. Arald, I know you guys, you guys are like my chief uh, contributors. Uh, who, Mariana, what, what could we say? What could we say? Let's say someone's an open sin, and there's, like, honestly, Nupu's right. We don't know. Right, but let's say there's no open, there's no open demonstration. What, what what do we say here? What could we say? Ray, what could we say? Like open sin. Let's say someone is living in open uh, drinking or fornication or um, stealing money and the, and. The, it's just like it's open, like people know it, and they're acting as though nobody knows it, right? Yes, uh, Zoe, what could we say? They, they know they're wrong, but they just don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay, great point. I think there's a like uh, Lot had vexation of spirit, and it was it was phenomenal guilt. Like um, you know, there is a uh, God is so patient, isn't that amazing? God is so patient, like infinitely patient. Like all of us, if He was to count iniquities, we'd all be vaporized, right? That's why every morning, Lamentations three, we know this verse. Every morning, and it's, you know, 320 through 23, there is no ledger. God is not looking at you in your sin. Does he know about your sin intellectually because he's omnipresent, but he does not relate to you in your sin. And he'll allow guilt and shame. He'll allow the anxiety and fear of the devil coming very close to you and me, right? He'll allow our backslidings to correct us, and they will. They will. They'll bring us to the end of ourselves. I'm amazed, and I'm sure you're amazed too, how much sin we can endure until we surrender. It's, it's shocking, right? God is like, I'm here. I love you. Are you done wallowing in your filth? Yeah, Zoe. It's possible, absolutely possible, um, and and that's 
And I mean, that's a real thing, isn't it? People are just like the more word that we've received, the more accountability we have, right? Yeah, Joe. Could be based on maturity, like what she just said. Is mm -hmm. are they new believers? Are they just saved and never got discipled? Never really were spirit taught? Mm -hmm. Just didn't grow, and they get locked in a sin, and don't really maybe maybe God's convicting them, but. They just keep brushing it off, brushing it off, and then maybe God turns them over to it for a period of time. Okay. So that so that's a turning them over. Romans chapter one, they turn them over to their vile passions. Which means let's say there's there's not the maturity, and God says, Okay, you want to do that? I'll let it run its course. Right? I'll let you get the the STD. I'll let you have cirrhosis of the liver. I'll let you um lose all your money. I'll let you lose your family to the drug habit, right? Look at 1 Timothy 4. I mean, I don't think, depending on their growth, I, I don't think they're exempt from this. Every, God handles people very differently, but he does it in great love and compassion. But look at 4 too. This is open sin. I mean, they're giving heed to... Um, deceptive spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy in verse 2, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, okay? Which means you can't reason with them. They are just totally desensitized, right? So a seared conscience is a big deal. Um, I think in counseling, one of the most frustrating things for me, honestly, is you love the person so much and you are sharing with them God's mind and they are resisting it and they want their sin. And you can't change them and you can't want it for them. They have to want it for themselves. So again, God will say, okay, I'll let it, I'll let it, let it run its course. And I think Zoe brings up a great point. People in our lives that have been exposed to the gospel and they're not growing Again, that little seed, I believe, God can still speak. And God may use you to say, hey, listen, you know, come back. Come back. Leave that. Come back. Yeah, Erhan, we're going to break. Go, Erhan. Mm -hmm. Because like, you know, you Right. But we can believe that God is in charge of all the things, and we can love and do. Yeah. Yeah, that's what First John, uh, to, uh, sorry, Second John's all about speaking the truth in love. So it's like we present the nature and character of God. We don't, we don't, con we're not condescending, but it's like, hey, listen, you want to do that? Go do it. And the outcome is what it is. I mean, we're not going to sugarcoat it, right? The end of that is the way of the transgressor is very difficult. I think Romans chapter one, people look at that as the homosexual and uh, alternative lifestyle chapter. There's a lot in that chapter that goes beyond that, that God says, I will, they change the truth of God into a lie, right? 
They say, God won't meet my needs, so I'm going to go do it myself. Or I want the world. I had one guy tell me, um, you know, they felt like he was missing something because they got saved at a young age and they got into church and they felt like he was missing something in the world. So he went back into the world, spent a couple years out there and came back and made all kinds of like a mess, right? It was a huge mess. But he realized the world has nothing to offer. I had somebody tell me that in Bible school. I had packed my bags. I was a sophomore in Bible school. Something had happened that rocked my world. I was upside down in my heart. I was like, I'm gone. I was sitting in, I was sitting in a class, and a pastor came up to me, and they, they said this word. They said, it, they, it was really interesting. I, this pastor, I'm not going to tell you who it is. He, he's a friend of mine, and he had no idea what he was saying. He was speaking right from God. And, and he said, if the, if the best was in the world, the God would have given you the world. And I looked at him, I said, what? Like, it, it, should, it, just like was a, it was like a knife going right through my heart. And he said, the best was given by his son. And then he just got up and left. It was like this weird, like, bam, and gone. And I went home and unpacked my bags. <laughs> it's like when God gives you a word for people, it's like, you can save their life, right? Romans 1, I know, they suppress the truth in verse 18, right? Boy, this is so good. I know we've got to take a break. And, but Romans, Romans chapter 1, I'm 18 at the end of the chapter. I mean, people like to highlight on some verses here, but the whole thing is phenomenal. Futile in their thoughts, right? God gives them over who did not glorify him as God. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. It's like, you know, like people that go out and get a career. God bless you. You know, be a missionary in your job, right? Um, I'm not going to demonize somebody because they're going to go after a career. That Maybe God has given you that opportunity and, and bless, God bless you. Some others that... Don't, I shouldn't do that and go into ministry, then God will make that evident to you. All right, we got we got a break. <laughs> Lord, thank you for these thoughts. We just keep going and going here. Give us a refreshing 10 minutes in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we'll come back. All right, 1 John chapter 5. Uh, I'm sorry, 2 John. 2 John 5. I'm 2 John. Whew. 2 John, period. Okay, 2 John. Keep wanting to add verses here. So... Love in truth. And I, I think we've just spent a lot of time kind of giving examples of um, sometimes just being the answer rather than demanding them to give an answer is kind of an important thing. Like just minister to them in the way that they need to be ministered to them rather than demanding from them something they cannot give you, right? So let's say someone in your life is not going to church. Am I going to say, you need to go to church, you need to go to church? I mean, there might be a time for that. But I want to bring church to them. I want to bring Christ to them. I want to bring life to them so that they, so that they will respond and come to the church, right? So instead of demanding the answer, I want to minister the answer, okay? Loving in truth, right? Agape love. So when you look at Second John, I mean, he is <clears throat> dealing with, he's called the elder, He's just kind of saying, I'm the chief. I'm kind of the, the stately man of God here. I'm the elder, right? 
So to the elect lady and her children, some people think that's an actual physical person. Verse 13 kind of gives us the same impression. Your elect sister. And some people think it's just the church, as Christ would address a church. The bride and the bridegroom, right? But I tend to believe it's actually a physical person. We don't know who that is, right? To the elect lady in her church, uh, in her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abideth in us will be with us forever. So, truth, aletheia, Greek word. It speaks of absolutes, divine absolutes. It means it stands alone. It means no matter what I do, say, or think, it does not change the integrity of God's truth. That's why the Bible, heaven and earth will pass away, my word will never pass away. It's forever settled in heaven, Psalm 119.89. So, the leaf fades, the flower falls off, but the word of God stands forever. Yes? Sorry, uh, that lady and her children. And her children. So, so there's two schools of thoughts. Uh, there's the thought of that is referring to a church, but I tend to believe that it's actually a physical person. It's someone in the church that... Uh, is one of prominence. That word elect, I mean, it's important to understand that, that it's a, um, the writer says it like this, she's chosen, she's a chosen lady, someone in the church that he's referring to to kind of bless and talk to. Verse 13 kind of gives us that impression. A chosen sister, okay? So he's speaking to someone and their family specifically, but he's addressing the whole church, okay? And the point is, I want you to know the truth and love in truth, okay? So, so we, say, we see in Matthew twenty two sixteen, 16, God is truth. God is truth, right? We see um, in Luke 4, 25, that truth is what teaches us the way of God. Truth, okay? Not my truth, not my situational ethic where... I change based on how I feel or how the world is spinning at, at this particular time. But the truth is solid. It is stable. It is integral, right? That's why when people get upset at you for speaking the truth, it's like, hey, these aren't my words. These are not anything that I could come up with. But it's the truth. And the vehicle is we love in truth, which means it is the ministry of the vehicle in which truth is applied. Love in truth, right? That doesn't mean I let people live like the devil, and, but instead it means that we are serving them, ministering to them. 1 John 3.18, we are laying down our life. This is a big word. There's no greater love, no greater love than this, than a friend that let, lay down his life. Like we become the victim, we become the scapegoat, if we could say, so that truth can be ministered to, right? Like if I'm trying to win the argument and I'm trying to fight to be right, then maybe I might miss an opportunity. 
I don't want to just win the argument. I want to win the heart. Win the heart. Win the heart. How do you win someone's heart? You love them. You listen to them. You cherish them. And that doesn't mean love leaves us where it finds us. It means that love is ministering the divine absolute. All right? So someone might say, I was born this way. I do what I do because I was born this way. Well, our predisposition, our natural man is wired to uh, cleave to the dust. But we are not predetermined. We are not made to live like a defeated person. Right? And your ministry of the promise, your ministry of grace, your ministry of mercy, Second uh, Corinthians 4.1, great verse. We help them not to faint. Fainting is happening all around us. Why? Because people do not, they are, they're perishing for the lack of truth. Right? My people perish for the lack of knowledge. This is why it's a great time to church plant. Let me tell you, America is so open to the gospel. I'm sure the whole world, but I'm focusing specifically, we are seeing everywhere people are screaming for answers. They are hungry for God. And we don't restrict that only to our country, but every country. But uh, we were just up in Westminster Friday and just scouting and praying. Frederick, right? Andrew Frederick is wide open. It's Reston, wide open, right? Owings Mills, wide open, right? Glen Burnie, wide open. And uh, this is the time for what is coming. Like I I just sense, I I saw this a few years ago. For what is coming, we are preparing people for what is coming. And having a spiritual community is of utmost importance. And people that are just, just, you know, being lazy and just living their life when the, when everything hits the fan, forgive my French here, people are going to wonder what it, it might be too late, right? But you are like York, right? York, York, Pennsylvania, wide open. It's amazing, right? What what's another place we could say? Uh, Towson, yes, right. You can only love your sin for so long, right? It's like the person that loves pleasure is dead while they still live, right? Timothy talks about that. Right? What a great thing we have. We have the truth, right? All right. So, Aletheia. Aletheia. Incredible. Divine truth. So, when you speak the truth in love, it really is, it really brings in righteousness. Romans 1.18, right? Romans 1.18. Uh, we see this in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. It's the word of truth that is the power of God. Okay? Without the word, we have no authority. If I'm doing a self-help program, if I'm a coach, and I don't, I don't pick on life coaches or anything, but the only thing that changes a person's life is the truth. But it's got to be wrapped in love. Okay? So he's saying here, Second uh, John 4 through 6, we want to practice the truth. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of you, some, not all, of your children walking in truth and receiving the commandments from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote you a new commandment to you, 
but that which you have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should also walk in it. All right? So we practice the truth. And then verse 7 through 11, verse 7 through 11, and I think we're learning this in a Bible school, we are learning to protect, protecting the truth. Okay? Now remember the illustration we gave about the lion. Okay, the lion's in the cage. The, the lion doesn't need to be defended. He just needs to be let out of the cage, right? Right? Do you remember that illustration? Are you still with me? You guys all right? Raise your hand if you're still with me. Okay. All right. I know it's getting late. The lion just needs to be let out of the cage, and he is well able to care for himself, right? Same thing. We present the truth, and the power of the Holy Spirit will answer the question, will defeat the demonic activity, and will break the chains and have bondage. It's the truth. So we protect the truth. Or really, another way of saying, saying it is we present the right image of the truth, right? Uh, that's 2 Corinthians 14.8. It's a certain sound. It's either 2 Corinthians 14 or 1 Corinthians 14.8. It's the certain sound. Imagine uh, back in the day, the, the bugler, the bugler with, the, with, the, with the, um, the bugle, he had certain sounds that would motivate and mobilize the army. Imagine you're, you're giving the sound of advancement, but instead of giving the sound of advancement, you give the sound for retreat. I mean, right? That's what's happening today, is the gospel is so diluted and so perverted that people are not advancing, they are retracting, okay? All right, look, look, look at First Peter 5 with me together. So we walk in truth, we're practicing it, and we're also protecting it, or we are presenting it, okay? So the natural side of us is like, I don't want to offend anybody. I, I want to kind of go easy. I, I don't want to be the weird guy. I don't want the things to get awkward. But when you present the truth in love, it's done compassionately. But don't fear the consequence, right? Don't fear the consequence. Because you might save their life. You might save their life. So 1 Peter 5.13 uh, this is also an example. She who is in Babylon, the elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son, greet one another with a kiss of love. Remember Pastor Schaller doing that right before COVID? Does anybody remember him doing that? Nobody? Okay, that's probably a good thing. All right. <laughs> anyway, okay. I'll just let that, let that go. Okay. So let's turn back to First John 5. So... Like, especially now where I had a lady on uh, at John Hopkins University, we got talking about truth. I said, how do you define truth? She goes, truth is what you refer to the most. Okay, it's what you refer to the most. It's your emphasis. So I said, okay, you see that green car over there? If I told you 20 times that car is yellow, you're telling me that that's truth? She goes, yes. I go, not only is that absurd, that's ridiculous. 
But see, that, that's where 520 of Isaiah, good is called evil, and evil is called good, right? And because the truth or belief system that people live by is very different than the, the beliefs of the Bible. And this is why we are spiritual educators. You are a spiritual educator. You are helping people find the God of the Bible. Because believe me, the average believer in America, I'll speak about America, has five different ideologies mixed into their personal walk. Hinduism, um, mysticism, humanism, secularism, liberalism. It is not the pure gospel. Um, okay, let's get back to First John, or 2 John 5. I'm sorry, there it's, I decided to keep doing it again. 2 John, okay. So we walk in his commandments. Right. All right. Look at verse seven. For many deceivers have gone out to the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver, an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we have worked for, that we may receive a full reward. Revelations three says the same thing. Hold fast to your reward. So it is insinuating here that we can lose rewards. How do we lose rewards? Well, <laughs> we begin to waste time with things that don't produce rewards. We lose opportunities. We lose opportunities. And uh, it is, that'll be what will be brought up in the Bema Sea. Sin, Revelation, uh, Romans 12.10, we will stand before God and it won't be uh, a judgment of sin, right? Because Jesus took that. But it will be a judgment of opportunities gained and opportunities lost. Right? 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 tells us that. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 uh, through 15 really is all about um, the fire burning up wood, hay, and stubble. The emotionalism and the flesh. But gold, silver, and precious stones, those things that have the integrity of truth, will stand. Okay? Let's keep reading. This is, look to yourself, like, be aware. Right? Be aware lest you have preached to others, you yourself become disqualified. Paul said that. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Believe me, when you share, the devil hears you and will try to lead you away. It's amazing. Be aware of that. Take heed to yourself. Right? Take heed. Like, don't forget you. We can be so involved in ministry that we forget our own self, right? But take care of yourself, not only physically and emotionally, but also spiritually, right? You still with me? Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, rest. Yes. Alyssa. Um, where, are where are we? We are in 6025. Maria Pride Drive. No, she's awesome. We are in... Second John, verse 7 and 8. You're welcome. The full reward. What is the full reward? It's amazing, isn't it? Hold fast. That means I'm not going to be with people that are wasting time, wasting opportunities, gossiping and, and living like the world. I'm not going to waste my time letting them steal my life. But we're going to be around, we're going to walk with the wise, and we will have wisdom. Amen? 
Whosoever transgresses in verse 9 does not abide in the doctrines of Christ and does not have God or a living demonstration of God. He who abides in doctrines of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. Holy cannoli. That's kind of abrupt. Where's the grace in that? You ever had to do that before? That's, that's a great topic to kind of unpack a little bit. Because if we're not making an impact, we are being impacted. So if someone comes, like we were in Atlanta, and Atlanta's an f- amazing place to sow in, by the way. We just got a building in Atlanta. It's awesome. God's, God's doing something there. But we had... A <laughs> so... I'm not usually like this, but you know how the Holy Spirit gives you like unction? Anybody? You know, thank God personality is not, um, we're not limited to our personality. But so we were having a meeting. It was an amazing meeting, right? And a Muslim was there. And uh, he sat through the meeting and my eye was on him because I just knew. I just knew. I just knew. I just knew. (laughs) And so the rap was, we had a great fellowship and the rap and everything. and, And then he got up to speak. And I'll tell you, he started to unravel what we were saying. And uh, usually I'm pretty, uh, you know, pretty, what's the word, tolerant. But I, I, I said, stop. I said, stop. Like within, within 45 seconds, I could see it. I said, stop talking. Sit down. We're glad you're here. But you're, you're not going to speak. Because he was, he was openly saying Jesus is not the Christ. All these new believers, all these just really like amazing, and he started to unravel. He's like, "Well, you know, we just want to be about peace and thing." He kept calling me brother, and all. I was like, "I was like, if you're going to talk against Christ, you're not going to talk." So I just told him right in front of everybody, and I'm not usually like that, but I was so like hot because this guy had another spirit. So he sat down, and we started talking again. And you know me, I love interaction. But he got up again, and he started talking. And I said, you can't, I said, I said, uh, I said, Jack, another guy in our meeting, I said, please escort him outside and just minister to him outside. And we removed him from our meeting. Now, you might say, well, that's not so gracious. Absolutely, it was gracious. We, we were protecting the room. We were protecting, because this guy was charged. You know, some people are just nominal and, you know, you know what I'm saying, Erhan, right? We've all seen, this guy had an agenda. Because there was another guy in the meeting, amazing guy, he was Iranian, and his testimony was, he used to go to meetings to convert Christians back to Islam. And his history was, he went to a meeting for a year and he was so amazed at the spirit in the room that he got converted. And this guy, he was an imam, he, he said his major complaint was he never got his questions answered at the mosque. So this guy got saved, and now he's coming out to our meetings in Atlanta, and he's reaching Muslims for the gospel, and he's connected <laughs> through the wazoo in the Middle East. It's amazing. So he's sitting there. He sees this guy in his whole white garb and the whole thing of a box. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and we were like, this guy, 
this guy needed to be removed. And anyway, you may have to do that, and God will give you the wisdom. But it was, it was like, you know, that's not comfortable, but I'm not going to lose the room to some guy trying to say that Christ is not the Son of God. Do you follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. We have to be have a little teeth, like when we're loving, compassionate, but when there's an agenda, it's like, okay, let's get back to here for a minute. All right, so let me give you a couple of things. So abiding in truth produces love. This is the thing, abiding in truth. Now I want to be really I want to make it clear, crystal clear you have to really be wise on how you handle things like that cuz everyone's watching so you don't want to be you don't want to be Rambo or something. Everybody know who Rambo is? Anybody know who Rambo is? Jay who do you know who Rambo is? How would you explain Rambo? <laughs> you don't want to be crazy about it, you just want to be wise. Okay. So notice this abide in truth that's what produces love. So let me give you four things. Okay? And then we'll close. So love generates Christian community. Okay, number 1. Love generates Christian community. Loving in truth means that it's not just let's have a big club, but there's an exchange of truth. There's an exchange of Community. We see that in verse 1 through 3. Number 2, there's a distinctive Christian ethic. That's verse 4 through 6. A distinctive Christian ethic. It means that sin and the Antichrist spirit is not something we wink at. There's a, distinct, a distinctive Christian ethic where we believe marriage is between a man and a woman. Right? We believe that a male is a male and a female is a female. Oh, that's not a gender issue. That's a sexuality issue. That's the, that, that approach today, we should know how to answer that. We should know how to answer that. Broken sexuality, that is what the world promotes. Broken sexuality. When actually sexuality is beautiful in, in God and in the parameters of God. You know, there's a 12-year-old girl that's, like, trying to figure out if she's a girl. It's like, what is that? Broken sexuality, and the person is influencing her and causing confusion. We have to really protect people from this, this wickedness. Okay, number three, truth in verse seven is Christian doctrine. Notice that. Christian doctrine is Jesus is the Christ. If you can't agree, then we don't have much to talk about. I think as Christians, we can tolerate a lot of worldliness, and then all of a sudden we become dull. You ever feel dull? You ever get around certain people and you just, iron sharpens iron, but then other people it's like, oh man, dullness. Temptation to drink or temptation to do things that we wouldn't do normally if, we are around believers, right? And then 8 through 11, this is uh, loving and truth produces vigilance. Right? Do not share in his evil deeds, verse 11. Wow. So, 
John has a little bit of teeth here. Our love is not like flim-flammy. It's not like love is love. And let's just all hold hands and sing kumbaya, right? As we all go to hell, right? No, no. Love is sacrificial, but it's, it's like, hey, I'm not going to be afraid to, to give you Christ's mind with great compassion, right? We're compassionate, right? Compassionate people, very compassionate, right? You'll know that you're my disciples if you love each other, right? I'm always amazed meeting believers that they look, they, they're just like an oatmeal on their face. They won't even talk about God. I'm a believer. I'm like, you sure you are? You know. <laughs> love is the proof that I'm a believer, right? All right. Amen. Any questions? You're such a good class. Talk to me. Tim, what do you want to say? Anything you want to say? Square up. Is that a good word? Tell them anything? You're from Morocco. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, God is moving in the Muslim world. It's incredible, actually. God, I'm not sure how I can go to heaven. I want, I want to be sure to go to heaven. And once I'm like a couple of years later, he received a mail to his neighbor that was like an envelope on your knees. You were like writing, Is the answer to every question? There was like a Bible verse <laughs> that, that said, you, you can go to heaven, at least by education or anything. It was like an anonymous ministry that uh-huh. sent letters to Muslim people. It was kind of a question. And he got saved. Wow. And now we have a church because of him in Marrakesh. Marrakesh. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, Brandon, you guys, I mean, all of us, I think we're not. My brother in law is from Jordan. I speak with him for hours. And, uh, it was amazing. Like he's very respectful. I would talk to him. He, he would talk to me, and we'd talk hours. I was like, you could never comprehend mercy and grace. He was always like, a, like afraid that he was, like he was never going to be enough. And what a, what a gospel! Like it's right, that amazing. And revivals happening in the Middle East. Crazy. Yeah. Like we need a church in Dearborn, Michigan, right? Portland, Maine. You know the Portland, Maine? Amazing. A lot of Muslims in Portland. I love actually, I love talking to Muslims, right? Yeah. Do you know, isn't it true the Quran has the book of Isa, the book of Jesus? And it's funny, my brother in law, my brother in law's last name was Isa. I said, Do you know your name? Your last name is Jesus? That means to drive him nuts. I said, do you know the do you know the message of the prophet Jesus? He's like, yeah. He was like, I was like, no, no, do you know? And I love Pastor Mati told us that, right? How do you reach a Muslim? You talk about the message of Christ. Well, you know, I mean, all of them. All right, any other last questions? All right, did we get edified tonight? Okay, Father, bless us.
Thank you for the students here, Lord. Just reveal your truth. We want it to be more than just knowledge, but let it be a living ministry of love to us. Thank you, God. You love us so much. Uh, you give it all without any reservation. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, don't forget that quiz and uh, enjoy it. <laughs>